Hello and welcome to Killing at the Chromecast. It is so lovely to be back. This is your host Lux and things are different now if you haven't noticed from all the social media and from the lack of episodes. Again, apologies and thank you so much everyone for being patient. But um, Meg is no longer part of this podcast family. She has other things to do. She's uh, She's trying to be a teacher now and that is... Not only is it actually a full-time job, but it is a full-time job. And she just, she will be missed, but it is understandable that she doesn't have the time for this anymore. So today you've just got me, and in the future you will have me and some guests. I've got about six months worth of guests lined up, so don't you worry, we will be fine for the foreseeable future. Um, also, little change in format. I am not going to do the housekeeping up front. I'm going to do the episode first because some people just don't care about it. Don't want to hear about my life. Don't want to hear about the people I want to say thank you to. And I mean, it's a little bit rude, but um, fair enough. You just want me to launch straight into the story. So here I go. Today's case is one that you've probably all heard of. I'll be surprised if you hadn't haven't heard of him. Even my dad sent me a link to an article about him. It is Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur or Bruce MacArthur. And he is a Canadian grandpa serial killer who dismembered bodies and buried them in plant pots. Spoilers alert. Uh, That is the whole story. And most people already know about that because the case broke in early 2018 and early this year he was sentenced. So it's really not that big of a secret, but I didn't know much about the case, how it unfolded, what Bruce's life was like beforehand, who his victims were, and I thought it would be interesting to have a look. And who boy, I was right, because um, it's, it's a doozy. It's a big old doozy. So we've got content warnings. Obviously, we've got um, dismemberment and murder, but we also have um, homophobia and police incompetency in this. So heads up boys, guys, and everyone in between. So, without further ado, Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur was born on the 8th of October 1951 in Ontario, Canada. His parents sounded like great people um, from everything that I read about them, which wasn't much, admittedly. They, uh, They had Bruce, and then they had a daughter. So Bruce had a sister, but then they also fostered loads of other kids. So he had lots of foster brothers and sisters too. And it sounded like they sort of had a rotation of foster kids whilst the kids were growing up and being placed into adoption and stuff like that. They were just sort of helping these kids out. So he doesn't really have any excuses like perhaps uh, he's kind of like a Dharma in that way, I suppose. If I were playing the game, if I had someone else to to hear with me to guess, um, Dharma didn't have anything wrong with his life, really. So he just fucked up for no reason, as far as we know so far. Like I said, very fresh case. The information I'm giving you now is very raw. I'm sure a lot more colour will come into this case in the years to come. But I've done my best, so bear with. Bruce got married in 1986 at the age of 35. And he and his wife, who I'm not going to name, and I'm not, it's just, she is not a part of this. It's not relevant. And I just think it's a bit unfair. Imagine if you married someone and then they went out and did horrible things. It's like, oh, great, thanks. Now my name is tarnished too. No, she didn't know what she was signing up for. So anyway, he um, he got married at the age of 35 and he and his wife bought a house on the Oshawa, in Oshawa suburbia. I assume Oshawa is like a county or something. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not Canadian. And they had two kids together. Now, 
I know that he got divorced and I'm not sure if he got remarried, but again, that's not relevant because these women did nothing wrong. I do know, however, that he declared bankruptcy in 1999. And that is also the year that he started getting involved in Toronto's gay community. Um, he was active on online dating and on dating apps. And he was using, um, some of them were called things like Man Jam and Silver Daddies, which I just think is, is glorious. Um, and his username was often a variation of, uh, quote, Silver Fox. Uh, I don't think he's foxy, but... You know, have a look at photos, see if you think he is, see if you think that's apt. I don't, but um, he's also a bastard, so whatever. So he was on these apps looking for submissive men of all ages. But he specified that he would prefer them to be between the ages of 25 and 55. He described himself as sexually versatile and said, quote, I can be a bit shy until I get to know you, but I'm romantic at heart. I love to cook and enjoy most types of food. So many nice looking guys out there, but so far away. End quote. I mean, I feel you, buddy. When you narrow that thing down on Tinder, your your little location preferences. God, it's it's uh, it, it's tough beckons out there, but. He is a murderer, so I don't feel that much sympathy for him. Uh, it's also unclear, by the way, can I just point out, um, it's not been revealed in all the articles that I read. I didn't see anything about MacArthur's sexuality in terms of whether he decided um, to date men as well as women or whether he actually came out as gay and no longer involved himself with women. All I know is that he did enjoy homosexual encounters. Um, but you know what? Sexuality is fluid anyway. It's all bullshit. So he just liked a bit of dick. Let's leave it at that. So he was also a mall Santa. Now, if you look fo at photos of him, you can see why. I mean, he's a grandpa. He's like got a bit of a belly, but not a massive one. He's got this, this, uh, this silver white hair. And apparently he was loved in his community. He was a self-employed landscaper and called this company Artistic Design, which, you know, original mate really original yeah i'm an artist and i design things so i think i'll just call it artistic design like all right <laughs> not the most artistic of uh, of names is it so that so that's a bit of background about who macarthur is there's not a lot of info about his past like i said it's just fresh um information it's just fresh hot off the press so um i'm not sure what's up with his ex-wives i'm not sure what's up with his children i know he had grandchildren as well and i'm not sure um if his sisters or parents have actually if not sisters sister or parents have said anything because like i said in everything i've read i haven't haven't seen that sort of thing so it's very possible but that in the future more about his childhood and his past and maybe you know, maybe he did have another side to him that only those close to him saw. Um, but the only statements that we've gotten currently are from people in the gay community and people who worked with him as a landscaper. And they've all been overwhelmingly positive. So it seems like he's very much a John Wayne Gacy and a Ted Bundy in that he is l beloved and important in the community. But actually, he a freaky little freak. So... Let's find out about this freaky little freak stuff, shall we? Heads up, this is where it gets uh, this is where it gets bad. This is his this is his criminal activity um, from two thousand and one to present. So uh, he just, he has a record from Halloween two thousand and one um, on which he attacked a man who was formerly a sexual partner of his. 
Uh, he attacked him in Toronto with a metal pipe. And in 2003, he was handed a two-year conditional sentence for the assault. So he did he did get, um, well, air quotes, punished. Um, because this is what the sentence entailed. It required that he abstain from the consumption of amyl nitrate, i.e. poppers, uh, that he not be in the presence of male prostitutes or sex workers. This was a quote, so not my words. And that he stay away from a section of downtown Toronto that included the gay village. So basically, don't go near the gay village, don't sleep with male sex workers, and don't take any poppers. But he also, this is really weird to me, he also had a curfew of 10pm, wasn't allowed any firearms or weapons, was compelled to undergo psychological and psychiatric counselling, including anger management, and he was ordered to have a DNA sample taken and added to the criminal database. Now, on first glance, this seems great. The poppers and the and the seeing male sex workers thing, like, I'm not sure. And the curfew thing, I'm not sure that's, you know, as severe as I'd like it to be. But the fact that they're like, no, you need to undergo counselling and we're going to take your, your DNA in case you do anything like this again and you're not allowed firearms, etc. I think that's great. I think that's a great response by Toronto police. But it doesn't stay great. And you will see why in due course. In September of 2010... 40-year-old Sri Lankan, I apologise for the pronunciation of these names. Uh, I am doing, I'm doing my best. I've practised them, but I apologise in advance. So 40-year-old Sri Lankan man, Skandaraj Navaratnam, went missing. Now, MacArthur reportedly dated Navaratnam between 1999 and 2008. So two years after their relationship reportedly ended, he goes missing. On the 29th of December in 2010, that same year, 42-year-old Abdul Bazir Faizi was reported missing. In October of... I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's just ridiculous. The amount that this man gets away with is just ridiculous. In October of 2012, 58-year-old Afghan immigrant Majid Kayan is reported missing. And so in November of 2012, credit to them... Toronto Police Launch Project Houston, which is an investigation into the disappearances of Naratnam, Faizi and Kahan. Now, during Project Houston, the Toronto Police find some evidence that Navaratnam has been murdered. Investigators from the Homicide Squad join the case and um, they think that maybe he's been part of a, a cannibalism ring. He was the victim of, of this sort of ring. I, it, it said that there was evidence for this, but nowhere said what the evidence was I would be if anyone knows hit me up because I would love to know but the evidence was discounted in the end anyway and then the investigation just continues as a missing person investigation rather than a homicide in 2013 this bit oh it takes a biscuit MacArthur was interviewed by the police in relation to Navar Navaratnam, Faizi and Kayan's disappearances because of Navaratnam and MacArthur having dated and he'd also hired Navaratnam to help with the landscaping business. But he's not interviewed as a suspect. It's more of just getting an overall feel of what Navaratnam was doing and, and, you know, trying to get a feel of his life to understand why he might have gone missing. So, whoopsie, there was a shot that the Toronto police missed. And then in April of 2014, Project Houston ends. It just ends. But whatever, fine, just end it. I guess uh, guess you just don't really need to care about these three missing men, but fine, I'm not bitter. I'm definitely bitter, and you should be too. Because it gets even worse. 
in 2014, after MacArthur had already committed these three murders, he was granted a record suspension. And this means that his criminal past would no longer be shown on any background checks. Huh. So, uh, I'm sorry, what was the point of taking that DNA then? If someone's got a violent history, maybe, maybe, just hold on to it. Just hold on to that background. But whatever. Um, August 2015, Sarush Mamundi goes missing. Oh, crazy. It's almost like if the police don't take violent individuals seriously and missing persons investigations seriously, people will keep getting murdered. Huh. So he he goes missing and he was a 50-year-old professional painter from Iran and he didn't appear to be out as gay slash interested in men. Um, this is actually uh, similar to a lot of MacArthur's victims. A lot of them were married and um, their wives didn't know about their homosexual activities. And they, they were also, uh, a lot of the time, immigrants or refugees. So they had come from countries that weren't supportive of that sort of thing. And that will that'll come into play later. In late 2015, MacArthur murders Kirush Nakuman Kangaratnam, and he was a 37-year-old refugee from Sri Lanka, and he was not reported missing. In 2016, the police yet again get their hands on MacArthur, uh, and he was uh, he was interviewed, but not charged with assaulting someone again, violently assaulting someone. Now, this person was a quote-unquote friend. Um, a, sec- a sexual partner, essentially. Um, now, MacArthur invited this quote-unquote friend to his van and asked him to lie down on top of a fur coat. And the victim of this assault said that the van was lined with plastic, very Dexter, you know, very, this is going to get Nessie, I'm going to murder you. And MacArthur strangled the victim before the victim managed to escape and call the police. And MacArthur just went, oh no, it was a lover's quarrel, don't you worry about it. And the police bought it. The officer investigating this incident was named Paul Gautier and he had no idea that Project Houston had existed or that MacArthur had a criminal record because, remember, he was granted a record suspension. Or that MacArthur had been interviewed by the police in relation to the disappearances of Project Houston. So here's a quote uh, from CBC. Uh, quote, Gautier allegedly failed to enter MacArthur's name into a database and now faces charges of his own for insubordination and neglect of duty. Gautier denied the allegations in an email to colleagues later obtained by CBC. He said in this email, my employer has effectively set me up to be their fool guy, unquote. So Gautier, I don't know what he's on about because he did not follow the procedure for processing domestic violence incidents. He had failed to videotape the victim's statement, didn't take photos of the injuries that the victim had sustained, and didn't log MacArthur's name into the database. So I don't know what he's saying. He's he's being set up to be the fool guy of because he literally, he fucked up like he did. So there were so many fuck ups in this, but he does have to admit that he was a minor part in this. Continuing on with MacArthur's crimes, in um, April of 2016, MacArthur kills 47-year-old Dean Lissowick, who was also not reported missing. He, um, I think he was a sex worker because in one article I read, to those who knew him for decades in the gay village, he's remembered as a sweet guy who stuck up for his fellow sex trade workers. If he saw someone being harassed or something like that, he was always the first one to come to the rescue. 
He was very street savvy, so it just baffled me that he of all people could be a victim. So that's just a little insight into the sort of people MacArthur was targeting. Um, They were vulnerable because if you're not out, you're not going to tell your wife, oh, I'm just popping to the gay village if I'm not back in a couple of hours. You know, maybe some anonymous sex went wrong. Or he's targeting sex workers who have to, their trade is to rely on strangers and hope that they're not going to get murdered by them because they're going to go somewhere private and be intimate with a complete stranger. Um, I mean, it's smart. It's smart because, no, he's not going to get caught for it. But it is just a bit disgusting that he's taking either this person's line of work or their hidden sexuality as a way of evading capture. It's a bit disgusting. So in April 2017, 44-year-old Turkish Selim Esen goes missing. He had left Turkey because, according to his brother, he didn't like living there as a gay man. He lived in Australia for a while before moving to Canada in 2013 to marry his boyfriend. And although they did get married, it didn't last. But gosh, what a sweet story. Uh, Later on in 2017, 49-year-old Andrew Kinsman goes missing. And MacArthur and Kinsman had known each other for 10 or so years prior to Kinsman's disappearance. Here's where it gets good. All right. And you guys ready to, to feel some true crime justice? On June 26th, Kinsman had written Bruce in his calendar. This was the same day that he went missing. In August, the Toronto police launched Project Prism to investigate the disappearances of SN and Kinsman. Police checked the surveillance video footage of the neighbourhood and saw Kinsman get into a 2004 20th anniversary edition Dodge Caravan. They found 6,181 matches to this type of caravan, five of which were registered to a Bruce. Obviously, with MacArthur and Kinsman having known each other and then a vehicle matching MacArthur's being in the area on the day that Kinsman goes missing and Bruce being written in Kinsman's calendar, it's not hard to see how he became a person of interest in September, although I am surprised it took between June and September for this to happen. After MacArthur became a person of interest, he sold his caravan to a scrapyard. When the police recovered it, they found DNA matching Kinsman and SN. So they placed MacArthur under 24-hour surveillance. And it's not just DNA. In some reports, I read that there was blood that matched Kinsman and SN. So it's just everything's looking a bit a bit down for MacArthur at the moment. Oh, poor boy, he's about to get captured. So we're now in December of 2017. And this is the bit that enrages me the most about this case. It's um, it's quite clear that all these men that have gone missing, it's eight men, right? And the LGBT community have noticed this. They say there are eight men that have gone missing from the gay village. We have noticed this and we think someone's targeting us. And so... They, they tell the police this. They have continuously been telling the police this. They've been saying, this is not a coincidence. Someone is picking us off because we are vulnerable. Someone is exploiting us and targeting us. And they clearly like immigrants and they clearly like gay ones. Do something. And in December 2017, Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders said, quote, there is no evidence of a serial killer. Hmm. You sure about that, Saunders? This is, I remind you, after the eighth victim of MacArthur's had disappeared. Eighth. 
Um, and the same month that Saunders had made that statement, homicide investigators got a search warrant from MacArthur's home and computer. So you don't think there's a serial killer. However, you've found the blood of two men and you've got enough evidence to grant you a search warrant. Sure. Sure thing, Saunders. On the 18th of January, 2018, remember they've got surveillance. Um, they've got 24-hour surveillance on MacArthur. So they see a man enter MacArthur's apartment. And after a little while, he doesn't come back out. So the police are a bit like, mm, okay, we should probably check on him. Because, you know, we think this guy is a murderer. So they go into the apartment themselves. And they find this man handcuffed to MacArthur's bed with a bag over his head and... There had obviously been an attempt to tape his mouth shut. The man was an immigrant who was married and not openly gay, so fits the MO. Obviously, this man was saved, and in court and in all the press, he is known as John, just John, to you know protect his identity. So John had arrived in Canada from the Middle East five years ago, was married. Again, his family didn't know he was gay, and he and MacArthur had met on a dating app. Texts between them showed that they had agreed to keep their relationship a secret. And MacArthur reportedly said he wanted to try something different and used that to uh, handcuff John to the bed. And that makes me think that they'd met up before. If he's saying something different, it's something different from usual. So perhaps, um, again, we, you know, MacArthur hasn't really opened up much about his methods, but it makes me think that perhaps he engaged in a sexual relationship with these men several times before actually murdering them because then he gains their trust and isn't as suspicious to the rest of the gay community because he's just you know one of them and and everyone sort of knows that he's a friendly guy who oh yeah he dated my mate and my mate said he was really nice oh but my mate's missing now but it can't be him because he said he was really nice you know that, that you know i'm just speculating but that is a, a theory of mine so macarthur is obviously arrested uh, there's a man handcuffed to his bed so uh yeah uh they get him and he's charged with the murders of Kinsman and SN. So presumably this is the blood evidence in the caravan that's linking uh, MacArthur to SN's murder because I didn't see much about any other evidence. But the Kinsman evidence of the surveillance footage, etc., and Bruce being written in the calendar, that is, it's pretty damning so far. Now, on the 29th of January, he is also charged with the murders of Kahan, Mamundi and Lissowick. The police had discovered skeletal remains in plant pots on a property where MacArthur worked as a landscaper. Remember at the beginning where I said this is the this is the grandpa who plants human remains in plant pots? Well, the, yeah, this is this is where they find it. Um, find them rather because they found the remains of at least six people. They identified Kinsman through fingerprint evidence and Navaratnam and Mamundi through dental records. Faizi's remains were identified by forensic pathologist, pathologists, rather, and Kangaratnam was identified through photographs. We will get onto that in a moment. Kahan's remains were found during a nine-day excavation of a ravine at the back of the plant pot property. Again, I'm not naming the person who owned the property because she didn't have anything to do with this. So, Kangaratnam was identified through photographs, right? And this is because the police uncovered some chilling images on MacArthur's hard drive. There were eight files which were labelled with the names of the eight missing men. And each file contained photos of that missing man. In these photos, the men were sometimes alive 
and sometimes they were dead. Sometimes they were naked and posed. In some of the photos, they were naked except for a fur coat and they also had unlit cigars hanging out of their mouths. He'd also shaved some of his victims' heads and beards and kept the hair in Ziploc bags in a shed near a Toronto cemetery. What the fuck? As if he doesn't have enough trophies at this point. What the... It's so... It's just a creepy little detail. Like, you know, if you're watching a horror movie and you heard that, you'd be like, yeah, bollocks. Who keeps someone's beard hair in a Ziploc bag and all these photos, etc.? It's just unreal. So far, it seems that we know vaguely what MacArthur's MO was. It was to have a sometimes sexual, because granted we can't know that they were all sexual unless MacArthur himself tells us, relationship with the men. Um, He would then lure them to his apartment or caravan, strangle them, and then dismember them. The photos showed that MacArthur restrained and sexually assaulted his victims. In some of the pictures, the murder weapon could be seen. It was a metal bar with a rope, and that's the only description I got, so I'm imagining it as some sort of garrote, but I might be wrong. Perhaps most chillingly is the police file found on MacArthur's hard drive labelled John. Remember, John was the man the police had found handcuffed to MacArthur's bed. The file contained images of him that were downloaded the same day that MacArthur had murdered Kinsman. If the police hadn't intervened, John would have undoubtedly been MacArthur's ninth victim. Police also found victims' jewellery in MacArthur's apartment, and they found a duffel bag containing duct tape, surgical glove, rope, zip ties, a bungee cord and syringes, very much a kill kit. And they found several plastic crates and bins in his garage, as well as a grey suitcase and a hacksaw. This was never explained, but I'm assuming from, you know, all the serial killer movies you watch, you get plastic crates and bins... along with a hacksaw is probably how you're going to be transporting these bodies again no details about that how did he plant them in somebody else's property when he had people helping him with landscaping and how did no one notice these are a lot of questions that i have for macarthur so bitch speak out because i want to know how you managed this because this is just unreal So now we're getting further into 2019 and further into the investigation. It's January 29th and MacArthur pleads guilty to eight counts of first degree murder. One for each of the men that he killed between 2010 and 2017. The prosecutor warned the court that hearing the evidence could affect their mental health. And presumably this is the the evidence for the... Um, sentencing hearing because there wasn't actually a trial because, like I said, he pleads guilty. So on February the 8th, 2019, literally this month, McMahon, who's the judge, he sentences MacArthur to eight life sentences for first-degree murder to be served concurrently with no chance of parole for 25 years. So even if MacArthur lives to 91 and does, uh, you know, he does have a chance of parole... The judge says that the chances are very remote at best that he'll ever actually get parole, and he also described MacArthur as pure evil. Apparently, the sentence was so lenient because he pleaded guilty, which meant there wouldn't have been a long, drawn-out trial, which would, you know, obviously it's affecting the family, and also, apparently, the leniency was to do with MacArthur's age. There's not much you can do to an old man because he's close to death anyway. Well, I mean... (sighs) You say that, 
I would have liked it to be a bit harsher and I will read you statements from people who agree in a moment. But firstly, I'd like to address the fact that some people think that since male serial killers tend to start killing way earlier in life than MacArthur, people are wondering if he committed more murders that we're not aware of. I'm inclined to believe that there were just these eight because he was very clearly a trophy-keeping kind of serial killer. And so there would have been evidence of any earlier murders, even if they were committed before computers, you know, because he had he had that hard drive. But he still kept the Ziploc bags of hair. He still kept the jewellery. I think he would have probably had a box of Polaroids or, you know, still Ziploc bags of hair and jewellery from earlier victims, had there been any. So in my opinion... It was just these eight. I mean, Albert Fish didn't start murdering until later in life, so Bruce could have been a, a late bloomer, so to speak. Um, now, before I read a statement from an article that I will put in the show notes, um, I want to just point out this one tidbit, which I think is very apt. In uh, April of 2018, the Toronto Police withdrew an application to participate in the 2018 Pride Parade, one day after the Pride Toronto um, organisation and a coalition of LGBTQ plus groups called on police to rescind the request to take part. The LGBT community does not want the police to try and pretend to be their pal because they have just, they didn't take them seriously. Can you imagine if you were saying look, this is happening in our community, why won't you believe me? Please, people are going missing. And and they just turn them away. I, I cannot imagine the frustration that these people who knew that this was happening and were powerless to stop it, I can't imagine their frustration. But I will read you some of their words from theglobeandmail.com. Again, link in show notes. For years, and apparently with impunity, Mr. MacArthur reminded us with each missing man he added to his list that there are no real safe spaces for queer men and that our advances in polite society are no protection against violent hatred. For creating that level of insecurity and fear and for making an entire subculture wonder if, despite all the positive and inclusive messaging coming from enterprises that want our money and votes, we truly are equal and heard. MacArthur's sentence needs to carry a deeper resonance. The sentence needed to show the larger population that queer men are not fair game anymore. Instead, the sentence appears to be little more than a shrugging acknowledgement that killing people is bad. An utter failure to recognise that the precariousness of queer life, shaped as it is by ever-present homophobia, has been further destabilised by Mr MacArthur's violence and now, perversely, by his seemingly forgiving sentence. End quote. <sighs> So with that, um, I will uh, end that case. It's a uh, it's a heavy one. It, uh, it it it's not good. It's not fun, but it's it's important, and it is a recent case that has just happened. And it's February. It's LGBT History Month, and how apt that people are speaking out about the I don't want to say mistreatment, but potentially the underestimation of the queer community they we um are still targeted and not taken seriously and it needs to change and these people are doing a great job at speaking out about that and letting everyone know that we will not have it anymore we just won't take it
So give me a minute, I'll be right back because I do have some fun housekeeping for you all. It includes some corrections, how to take body temperature, all of that sort of jazz. So hang in there, I'll be right back. So I am back and I just want to say what I'm killing this week. This week I am killing that moleless life. Some of you might not have noticed. In fact, quite a few people have said to me that they never noticed before, which is very irritating because I spent £500 on this procedure. <laughs> so um, please notice uh, I got my mole removed. I had one above my upper lip and I, it's bothered me my entire life. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good feeling. I mean, not currently because it's really scabby and I'm not allowed to drink or smoke. And um, my penchant for bearded men's is, is dangereux for this, uh, this little scab currently. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'll be back to normal and even better. So I'm very, very excited for that. And that's what I'm killing this week. And I want to say thank you to some people. I want to say thank you to Laura Jane for their Patreon pledge. Uh, reminder, if you have been missing my dulcet tones, I do have an extra episode up that I recorded with Meg before she quit. So after the Christmas episode and before the announcement that she was leaving, we did record a New Year's Eve episode. That is up on Patreon only. And I also have a episode that I recorded with the Bad Taste Crime cast. I will provide a link in the show notes. Uh, we did an episode on the death penalty. So if you want to hear me chiming in with my thoughts on that, go and listen to that episode. And I've got two iTunes reviews that I want to say thank you to. Uh, the Craziest Podcaster and KitKat9554. Now on to the corrections. <laughs> so... I can't remember who sent me this. I think it was on Twitter. Somebody said that actually Meg and I took the piss out of electroshock therapy. I'm pretty sure we said something along the lines of, oh, it's like, yeah, you just kick a TV and then it's uh, it's all fixed again, is it? You know, something like that. Apparently, um, it, it, they've modified it and it's vaguely successful now. Or maybe vaguely is a is an underestimation. I don't know. But this person was a, is a psychologist and they said, yeah, you're wrong to take the piss out of it that much because it's kind of okay now. So apologies and also I remember how Meg and I were talking about when someone takes the temperature of a, a dead corpse like do you just touch it and go oh it's cold to the touch what do you do well thank you to Victoria on Facebook not only did they send me so many lovely and supporting supportive messages and so many weird cases to look into which I will definitely be sharing with you all but they also said body temperature is taken usually by means of liver temperature Picture a very big meat thermometer stuck in the body where the liver is. So with that delectable image in your brains, I shall say adieu. And until maybe next week, if I find a guest who is prepared enough to come on. If not, then it'll just be my voice again. Just some fun stories, including, possibly, one Victoria sent me of a whip made of human spines. All right, peace out, y'all. Thanks for listening. 